lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Thursday. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show, live and on demand here on Blaze TV radio and podcast. Steve Dace here alongside Aaron McIntyre, Todd Erzin, and all of you, uh, let us know what you think about what we think via the SteveDace.com inbox. To do so, you can email the show, Steve, at SteveDace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. You can like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter, at Steve Dace Show. Remember, Facebook, if you see hashtag Facebook-approved takes, whenever you see that, know that that is a lie. Uh, you are being lied to in order to uh, slip one past the Facebook algorithm goalie, if you will. All right, so if you ever you see that on your face, don't freak out you know, that we didn't, you know, lose our damn minds. If you see hashtag Facebook approved takes, that is a lie. You can also follow me if you want to censorship free commentary on social media on MeWe Parlor, Gab and Getter. Look for Steve Dace there as well as on Rumble, rumble.com slash Steve Dace show. You know, I, I, I told a couple of friends of mine recently uh, that have been asking me some some fairly terrible questions, uh, to be brutally honest, about what is going on uh, in the culture and, and in the world right now. And, and, and uh, to two different friends of mine in the last 24 hours, I have replied with, and now you know why. I spent plenty of nights this summer by myself in my man cave watching End Times videos on YouTube. Now, now, now you know why. Because... I've also been pondering recently questions just like this. You know, there, there could be a better way of self-medicating, maybe, or at least just spice it up here just a little bit with our friends over at Patriot Wine because from deep within the Andes Mountains, uh, from families that have been doing this for over 200 years, they've got some of the highest vineyards in the world, up to around 9,000 feet, 90-point wine, some of the best Malbec grapes in the world, and now you can get access to top-quality wine like this for about half the price. Maybe a nice glass of wine is a better way for you to simmer down after perusing the day's decline and fall of Western civilization. Or you could just do what I did too often this summer and watch End Times videos by yourself alone in a room in, on YouTube. Why, why are you your making call. that sound like a bad thing? <laughs> your, it's, it's like Tuesday. <laughs> For me. <laughs> yeah. Your call. All right. If you want to take advantage of this, uh, get top quality wine for about half the price. You don't need a promo code. Just go online to PatriotWine2021.com. PatriotWine2021.com. When we get to... Now, I've still got a couple bottles of Patriot Wine in my house, by the way. I do not. Okay. You've drank all yours. <laughs> when we get to the point now that I'm in my basement alone at night watching End Times videos on YouTube, drinking some Patriot Wine... That is, look for a star in the east or await the trumpet sound time. But that's that's probably the next step of my devolution at this point. That We're probably 10 minutes away from that, actually. I'm just going to toast it. Here it is. We made it. All right. Um, what else is going on today? Oh, you've got, uh, well, first of all, let me also say this. We just broke into the top 30 overall on Amazon with a pamphlet. That That's what this is. It's a one-chapter pamphlet to accompany Fauci and Bargain. It's Fauci and Booster. COVID vaccine mandates violate the Nuremberg Code and therefore should be opposed and resisted by any peaceable means necessary. Thank you uh, to all of you. Uh, This is the number two political book, and it's not even a book. It's the number two political book in the country right now behind only Mark Levin's 
Uh, it looks that book that on communism that's going to sell like Rush Limbaugh numbers now. It looks like so. Um, some of you have asked have asked me a couple of questions. I hate Amazon. Will we will we be able to get it somewhere else? Likely, yes. I don't make those decisions. The publisher does. But again, as I tried to explain to you during Fauci and Bargain, they have a monopoly on this process. Trying to do this and give this information to you as fast as we can without Amazon, it's just darn near impossible. I'm sorry, it is what it is. Um, but just as we saw Fauci and Bargain that eventually expanded different platforms, I would imagine we will soon see the same thing with this. Some of you have asked me if I minded, you know, there's the whole copyright thing on there. Do I, you mind if I print this off and give some of this to people? I know I don't mind, you know, I, I don't plan on suing you and it's my copyright. So no, I don't mind. Um, this is purely missional for us. This book here, it was missional for us. We did not know it was going to sell six figures in copies. That's why we put it out there for 10 bucks as fast as we could. It was really just missional. We just wanted to get this information in as many hands as we possibly could. It, it turned out, it shocked us to become the financial success that it did. But if, if, if this was about money, we would have, you know, the book would, this book would be just coming out now. And we would have spent six months with a hardcover and, you know, promotion and everything else. This is even more missional. It's, it's like two bucks, I think it is what it is. Okay, I think after after I split everything with the with with the publisher and, and Amazon, I think I'm going to make forty cents per copy on this. I mean, this is not about money. We've got to. This is about stopping forever losing our bodily autonomy. That's what it's about. And unfortunately, I I just don't think constitutional arguments are going to win the day right now. We are up, just as we live in a post-Christian culture, we have an anti-constitutional political movement. They're not interested in seeing how far they can stretch certain clauses of the Constitution in order to fulfill what they view as the best of intentions. Uh, they're, up, they're here to undo this. They want to undo the Constitution. They want to decertify it. And so I think we've got to appeal here to something even higher than the Constitution, as much as we love and revere it. And so that's what we seek to do in this chapter. So by all means, whatever it takes to get this into as many hands as we absolutely possibly can, by any means necessary, we are totally okay with. And so thank you very much to all of you that have done your part to help us to get this message out, uh, especially yesterday uh, to our former colleague and our friend Dan Bongino. We got, the, we got the Bongino booster yesterday, guys. No question about that. I just saw Ted Cruz just shared it on his Twitter feed as well. So thank you. It's clear that those names and how quickly they got involved with this, they understand this moment. This is a Paul Revere moment. One if by land, two if by sea. It's it, the, This pamphlet is the light in the window tell you, telling you they are coming yes. and from where. Yes. You, so, of course, get the word out however you can. Very, that's very well said. I saw somebody in our local media, and you know me, I don't punch down, but I've seen you guys go back and forth with this individual a few times in my Twitter feed. Mm -hmm. And I saw this morning that he alleged that he wanted to know how much we quoted somebody in this pamphlet that just got banned from YouTube for citing false information. Well, first of all, that doesn't mean anything anymore. But secondly, I didn't even know who this guy was that he talked about. Never heard the name before. It's never pursed my lips. I've never said it aloud. I've never cited it. In fact, you guys want to know, There's, there, there's, this is 22 pages, this pamphlet is. I believe there's 40, exactly 40 footnotes. Aaron, have you had a chance to read this yet, by the way? I have not. Okay. There's exactly 40 footnotes. And the reason I asked you this is because it's been a, a couple of days since I've read it. 
but I believe that the vast majority of these footnotes actually come from the WHO and the CDC, if memory serves. Uh-oh. Yeah. So, I mean, this book is, a lot of the data this book uses is theirs. It's their data, you know? So some of these people that, you know, were accused of, of milking, although now I'm kind of like interested to check people out like this now, okay? <laughs> but no, I mean, I have largely, and, and you saw this in Fauci and Bargain as well, this is almost, where there's over 200 footnotes, almost all of them are their sources. This is their information. We, no, we didn't get information independent of theirs. We took their information and thought, uh, this is some straight up BS right there. That's what we did. And we did this with this chapter as well. Now, the one thing I can't remember, though, is when we were referring to the CDC, did we expressly say that whether we were citing birthing persons or not, Steve? Right, right. I, I can't imagine why anybody is not has any hesitancy whatsoever about taking uh, medical advice from somebody, that, from an entity that doesn't know who is it that actually gets pregnant around here. But see, here's what's happened since Obamacare. See, we have single-payer health care in America. We do. Right? The government's determining all the recommend, recommended guidelines, the regulations, what's covered and what's not. You used to argue with your HMO, you're not doing that anymore. They're just getting orders from government. Now, you're under the allure we don't have a single-payer health care system because you're still cutting a check to United and Blue Cross or Principal, right? But, but they're, all their, their coverages and everything they're doing are all coming from the state. And a lot of your doctors nowadays are, aren't doing practicing medicine. They're just, hey, all right, this is, this is your diagnosis. This is your code. CDC guidelines say to treat us accordingly, blank. And so this is all hammer meets nail, one size fits all. That's it. And I think, I think a lot of you maybe didn't realize this until you got COVID and your doctor and your hospital told you that for a, a, a respiratory infection from a family of viruses we have studied for 80 years, we have nothing we can possibly do for it until you need a, a, a ventilator. And you probably thought, What? 2021, 2020, going on 2022, there's, there's nothing else we can do? That's it? I just heard from somebody in the office here who told me a buddy in a small group got turned away from an ER in Ames, Iowa. They said, hey, you're unvaccinated, nothing we can do, get out of here. I mean, this is some straight-up savagery that's going on. And the argument that Francis Collins recently tried to make, well, you're going to have to learn to separate the political agenda on things like what's a woman and who gets pregnant and follow their med- No, folks, it's all the same thing. It's all the same thing. The same thing that is propelling the CDC to not know that women get pregnant and therefore call it pregnant purses, persons is the exact same impulse that is saying, we've got nothing to do against a yes, pulmonary infection or respiratory virus. We, have, we couldn't tell you what to do. Oh, wait, we found something to do. We found out that we found this uh, monoclonal. That, let's just start rationing it now. No, it's all the same worldview, which is what Todd's been trying to tell you for the last year and a half. Once we fell down, there's a million rabbit holes you can fall down. But once Alice tripped and fell down, what's a male? What's a female? You were you were going to be very, very afraid to find out how freaking far down that one went. And we're still falling right now as we speak, by the way. With that said, today, a little bit of history on the show. We've never done this before. We've got so much going on. We actually have three guests lined up on the show. It is single digits how often we've had two. We have never had three. 
But given what's going on and the caliber of guests, we're happy to do it. Bottom of this hour, Jay Warner Wallace, who wrote the uh, the great bestseller, Cold Case Christianity, he is going to join us with his new book, Person of Interest. He's going to be our special guest for Theology Thursday coming up here at the bottom of the hour. Next hour, Sherry Markson is going to join us. She is the award-winning Australian investigative journalist who is behind the book and documentary, What Really Happened in Wuhan. This is a conversation we taped it yesterday. You do not want to miss this. Uh, we will get into that at the bottom or top of our next hour. However, this conversation went long, and so there's some bonus material from this interview that we're going to set aside because we can't fit the whole thing into our show clock. So we're going to have some bonus material set aside for the overtime today at blazetv.com slash dace. And then we'll finish it out with our weekly visit from our prophet of woe and lamentation, Daniel Horowitz. So a lot to get to today. Let's hop to it and begin with Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by a tale as old as time. Republicans and Democrats in the Senate have come together with a stopgap spending bill to avert a government shutdown to buy them more time to discuss trillions of dollars in new spending on a barely contested infrastructure bill, among other things. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki says putting together the infrastructure bill is like... Well, this is why we all came to Washington. Uh, It's like an episode of it's a TV show. Uh, we're, we, I, I'm not in a position to put, lick in a crystal ball here. Maybe the West Wing? If something good happens, maybe Veep if not. I don't know whether to be proud or terrified. Perhaps both. The Koch Network, the political advocacy arm of the billionaire Republican mega donors Charles and the late David Cook, is disavowing bans on teaching critical race theory. Yes, the chief mega donors of the Republican Party thinks America is fundamentally racist. Speaking of critical race theory, training madness at all, the Daily Wire's Matt Walsh, a new proud resident of Virginia, not really, showed up to the Loudoun County School Board meeting this week and ripped them a new one. You only give us 60 seconds, so let me get to the point. You are all child abusers. You prey upon impressionable children and indoctrinate them into your insane ideological cult, a cult which holds many fanatical views, but none so deranged as the idea that boys are girls and girls are boys. By imposing this vile nonsense on students to the point even of forcing young girls to share locker rooms with boys, you deprive these kids of safety and privacy and something more fundamental too, which is truth. If education is not grounded in truth, then it is worthless. Worse, it is poison. You are poison. You are predators. I can see why you try to stop us from speaking. You know that your ideas are indefensible. You silence the opposing side because you have no argument. You can only hide under your beds like pathetic little gutless cowards hoping we shut up and go away. But we won't. I promise you that. Moving on, this was supposed to be an attack ad on Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Ladies and gentlemen, on behalf of your cabin crew, we'd like to inform you that we have officially entered Florida airspace. Now that we're making our final descent, please watch this short message from Governor Ron DeSantis on COVID-19. Thereafter, everyone on board will be required to comply with the state's forever purge. We are not doing any vaccine passports in the state of Florida. We trust people to make their own decisions in this state. We are not gonna be bludgeoning people with restrictions and mandates lockdowns or any of that stuff. As Governor DeSantis stated, while you're within state lines, you do not have to wear a mask. You do not have to get a vaccine. It is against the law for private businesses or schools to mandate masks or vaccines. 
One day after its return to Broadway, Aladdin has been canceled because of a glut of breakthrough COVID cases. That's right, everyone on staff for the show was vaccinated that we know of, and you're required to provide proof of vaccination to attend shows, so that's cool. The Canadian province of Ontario is recommending people aged 18 to 24 years old take the Pfizer vaccine over the Moderna vaccine over fears the latter leads to severe side effects, including myocarditis. In completely unrelated news, the CDC is now urgently recommending so-called pregnant people get the COVID-19 vaccine. And finally, does it science? Reviewing videos from around the internet and determining if they indeed science. We go to the land down under with a brief collection of videos. We'll start with this one, which appears to take place in a shopping mall. An anti-science bloke is wandering around without their mask, breaking COVID health orders when the pro-science police come and take him down. As you can see from this slow motion replay, the previously anti-science troglodyte is rethinking his or her life choices and coming to the conclusion that they were wrong. The most sciencey part of this video is the moment the new proselyte's nose makes contact with the ground. Science says one of the best ways to prevent COVID infection is to obstruct the airways. Three points for a broken nose. This video is pretty sciencey, getting five science points. Next, we head outdoors where yet another anti-science Aussie is out and about without her mask, breaking COVID health orders. Once again, the science police come around and correct her ways. This new convert into the grace of science comes to this conclusion after being lovingly and tenderly choked, which is yet again the most sciencey part of this video. Science says the best way to avert COVID infection and death is actually death by strangulation. This video is super duper science with seven points. Finally, we head to a park in Melbourne where an anti-science bigot was too slow to escape the grasp of the heroic science police. As you can see, the science police start shooting the man with rubber science bullets at point-blank science range and have yet again converted another soul into the outstretched arms of science. Nine points. And that's Does It Science, and that's what happened while we were away. Holy crap, Aaron, all of America needs to see that. Put that on all of our social channels today. Okay. That is absolutely, that's fantasticness. Is that a word? It, it is now. It would be denying science if it isn't. <laughs> well played. Thank you. Aaron's Montage brought to you by our friends over at Fast Growing Trees. Hey, when's the, when's the perfect time? To plant trees and shrubs, you know, big box store experts will tell you anytime or a uh, great question. Uh, but the best time to plant is actually in the fall, which means right now is the time to go to fastgrowingtrees.com. Uh, you head over there to the largest, the world's largest online nursery. No more waiting in lines. Messy cars digging through a lackluster selection. Just go to fastgrowingtrees.com. Choose from thousands of varieties of trees, shrubs and, uh, shrubs and plants. Easy for me to say. Uh, and these things are expertly curated to thrive in your area and delivered to your door in one or two days. So whether you're looking for shade, privacy, fruit, uh, just some added color in your yard. Every plant is shipped with a well-developed root system ready to explode with new growth come spring. Fall is planting season. Don't let anybody tell you different. Join the over 1 million satisfied customers at fastgrowingtrees.com. And when you go through November the 30th to fastgrowingtrees.com slash Steve, fastgrowingtrees.com slash Steve, get 15% off when you go to fastgrowingtrees.com slash Steve. A couple of things to highlight from Aaron's montage. I had not yet seen that DeSantis ad. And I'm just, I just tweeted out in reaction to it, watching it as Aaron's montage was playing. If I'm the DeSantis campaign, I'm just going to turn around and run that ad. Yeah. Uh, as is. 
I'm just going to run it as as is. I'm not like changing anything. What does I'm just it say? Run that ad. This is this is a question. Maybe we begged too often now. What does it, what does it say? Yes, I know about whom. Yes, that they thought that this would be an effective attack. Yes. If you want to know, and how many people you, make you, that? The, the, the audience that that's intended to reach in one of the the third largest state in the country. You you just can't share a country with people like that. You just not a free one, not a free one. Because it's a cult. That's right. You cannot share a free country with people who think that the idea that they weren't mandated, they weren't muzzled, that they weren't locked down. And by the way, it's not just even a freedom argument, but none of these things worked. Like, like none of them worked. They all failed. They're failing now, as we speak, in fact. So that's why it's a cult. You're dealing with a fetish here, folks. This is a fetish. This is a kink. They love it. They enjoy it. They get off on it. They're pleasured by it. It's a fetish. Can't argue with that. Can't debate that. Because it's not just, I have, an, I have a worldview that tilts towards a more authority. I mean, guys, the founding fathers tried, some of, a lot of them tried to make George Washington a king. Okay? It's not like we don't have a notion within, our, within the defect of our humanity to tend towards authoritarianism as a species, right? Okay. Uh-huh. All right. So right after the guys that, that, that bled, that, that pledged their lives, fortunes, and sacred honors for the Declaration of Independence, several of them turned around right afterwards and thought, how about we establish a monarchy? Okay. You know, I mean, come on, guys. Okay. We loved, Loki's right. We were made to be ruled. We love it. But it's on top of the fact that when the, when the monarchy, when the, authority, when the authority imposes things that then don't work, they impose on you, but then don't work, and then keep imposing them as they don't work, and then you believe there's a base of millions of people in a state of 21 million. You believe there's a base of millions of people that are like, give me more of that, that didn't work. Let me tell you what that means. You cannot share a landmass with those kinds of people and expect to still be free. You can't. Those worldviews aren't negotiable. They're, they're just not on any level whatsoever because you're dealing with a cult, like you said, Todd. You're dealing with a fetish. Another thing in Aaron's montage I want to highlight is the Koch brothers network coming out against critical race theory bans. Oh, let me do this first. Well done, Matt Walsh. Let me, I, I mm-hmm. want to make sure I did not forget that. Well done, Matt Walsh. Um, but the Koch brothers, you need to know this. The Koch brothers ran the Republican Party. And whatever, whatever dead, dry bones are called the conservative movement, pretty much from the moment George W. Bush left the White House until Donald Trump took the oath of office. So almost a decade. If you want to know why the Tea Party movement fizzled out, yes, it was inhabited by charlatans and grifters, but that's, that's been a problem on the right from the very beginning. No, I mean, it just completely fizzled out on a meta level. Because you can get around the charlatans and grifters. We can just say, hey, don't go to this Tea Party blank site. They're a scam. Do this one instead, right? We could do that, right? Mm-hmm. Holistically, though, the people that ran the Republican Party and, and, and what was known as conserv- the conservative movement for pretty much the day George W. Bush left the White House to the day Donald Trump walked in were the Koch brothers, the Koch network did. 
a good friend of mine took some money from them during the 2014 midterms for a uh, for a get out the vote effort for uh, social conservatives, and in exchange for the money, they had to strip everything out of their message that was socially conservative. And he told me, I, I, I just, we would never take money from them ever again. And I, don't, I know lots of stories like that. You want to know where this whole thing on the right from, speaking of fetishes, let's release prisoners. That's not to say they're, you know, I don't know that somebody needs to spend 30 years in life for being a drug dealer, okay? That maybe over 30 years, you might, if they've, they've proven they've rehabbed or something. I'm not saying on an individual basis, there's not some cases where we could show a little, uh, a little mercy, But how many more violent criminals have, do we have to see that are let out that then commit violent acts again? Where did this come from on the right? It didn't come from Kim Kardashian, guys. It came from the Kochs. They ran the right in America for almost a decade. What does all this say about Karl Rove? Yes. Is he the mark or you, is he the you, pimp with them? Yeah, yes. Yes. You weren't going to get anything done. You could accomplish nothing. You had to kiss their ring. They were completely and totally in charge. And so if you want to know why, voting Republican, all those Tea Party wave elections, and then you turn around, wait, so, so uh, John Boehner is my speaker after doing all that? How, how did that happen? This is how. You weren't lions led by lambs. You, this is why I keep telling you, get over this whole stupid party versus the evil party. That's a lie. They just don't agree with you. They don't. This is what I mean. You know, Jesus said that to beware the yeast of the Pharisees, that a little bit of leaven ruined the whole batch. Why did he say that? Because the masses loved Christ. The masses came to him. The masses recognized him as Messiah or something, some, at least some kind of super prophet that the likes of which they at least had not seen since Elijah. They knew something historic was happening here, whether they completely bought in that he was Messiah or, but the very least they understood God is doing something powerful through this, this being that we have not seen before. They flocked to him. He drew massive crowds. Even at the temple, he drew massive crowds. The base loved him. It doesn't matter though, because the people in charge hated him. So he ended up on a wooden beam instead. Okay, headship. It's why studies have always shown if mom goes to church and takes the kids every weekend, but dad stays home. When the kids become adults, it's very unlikely that I'm going to church. But if dad goes every weekend, very likely they do. This is how the, this is the principle of headship. There were a lot of people that worked at places like Enron and Lehman Brothers that really were thinking they were doing the Lord's work and helping people manage their wealth and their assets and were really trying to help people. They had no idea what the Sam Hill was going on on the top floor, man. They didn't know. But they all were out of jobs when it got exposed just the same, right? Yep. It, that's how this works. The creation operates on headship. See, we think we've got this massive conservative base that sells out all these conferences and buys all our books and subscribes to all our channels, and we just can't seem to figure out why the Republican Party seems to move left, even though the base of this party is probably the furthest right it's been in my entire career. You don't have any leadership positions. Lauren Boebert and Marjorie Taylor Greene and Ted Cruz and Rand Paul don't have any leadership positions. 
Caiaphas and his ilk run them all. They're in charge. And it just takes a little bit of yeast from such folks to make its way all through the batch and ruin everything. The Koch brothers were the Republican Party here before Donald Trump went to the White House. And that's why, for at least a decade, all of your votes for Republicans didn't save America and just wasted everybody's time. Because they were the plumb line. Our people need to run for leadership. Our people need to take over. Our people need to go to their state legislatures and take over there rather than wasting their time going to District 1 and getting absolutely thwarted as some backbencher and, and, and at the Capitol. Think about, don't, don't join the platform committee. Join the rules committee. Go where the power's at. Because it's the rules committee that's going to determine whether a single syllable of that platform matters to anybody or not. Think. You know, the, Jesus said the children of men are smarter than the children of light. Think like the children of men, at least strategically for a moment. Go where the power is. Go there. More in a moment. Did you know even an okay credit score can cost you thousands of dollars over the life of a 30-year mortgage? That's why you should use ScoreMaster before you apply for any loan because they can take your credit score from okay to potentially great. And sometimes the average ScoreMaster user can add up to 60 points in three weeks or less. And recent COVID surges are keeping interest rates low. A lot of people are both doing mortgages and refis right now. In fact, I'm going through a refi myself. So if you want to see um, what could adding 60 more points to your score do to your terms, to your interest rates, take full advantage before you apply. Visit scoremaster.com and see how you can add points to your credit score and how fast you can do it. And then you can maintain and protect your score with their 24-7 credit monitoring and $1 million in fraud insurance. It only takes minutes to enroll. See your points, get more points, and qualify for the lowest loan rates right now. When you visit scoremaster.com slash Steve and get started today at scoremaster.com slash Steve. Well, he's the author of the bestseller, Cold Cased Christianity. He is back now with another book. It is called Person of Interest, Why Jesus Still Matters in a World that Rejects the Bible. Jay Warner Wallace is our guest for this week's Theology Thursday. It's a pleasure having you back, brother. How are you? Well, you know, it's a pleasure for me to be here. I was just telling somebody that this is the, the one of the three reasons why I subscribe to Blaze TV is oh, you, wow. brother. Okay, so thank you. So I'm just glad. And if anybody who's missing this is catching this video someplace else, they ought to be subscribed. So I I'm really appreciate that, brother. Thank you very much. And as I told you the last time we had you on, I like you. My wife really is a fan. Really loved your book. She got it after seeing you in God's Not Dead too. By the way, so oh, awesome. and just to show how small of a universe this is, the guys who wrote that movie are actually in the process of, of uh, uh, translating one of my books uh, into their next film. They did the Unplanned movie, and their next movie yeah. is based on one of my books. So this we got this whole six degrees of uh, separation yeah. well, going on here. Carrie and Chuck are awesome. I think they're, yeah. they're great. They're great screenwriters. Uh, they'll do a wonderful job. Oh, thank you. Appreciate it. We're looking forward to it. So yeah. person of interest. You know, I, I like to say this every Christmas time, and it's getting close. November 1st is right around the corner. That is the start of Christmas. I don't care what Todd says. All right. So um, 
but I like to say this every Christmas time, man, thousands of years later, and and the one kid that can literally say to his mama, were you born in a barn, and affirmatively answer, yes, still makes a lot of people very, very nervous. Why? Well, I think because this is the one historical figure who does more than just, you know, exist in history. Um, this, this historical figure changed history in a way that nobody else did and in a very unexpected way. And let's face it, Jesus of Nazareth ultimately makes um, – it makes a demand on us. I mean, this is the one historical figure that calls us to something bigger than ourselves. Mm-hmm. And let's face it, for the most part, we all hate change and we all hate being called to something. We all be say, but really, I need to repent of something. I, I, I'm a fallen creature. I'm a finite creature. Like everyone wants to be their own God. But if Jesus appearing in history is who he said he was, then he makes a demand on our own lives as God would make a demand on our own lives. And that's what I think is for the most part, the most off-putting about any uh, you know, spaces it happens in real time. You you have family members. You don't like it when they put a demand on your life. So you can imagine how people feel sometimes about Jesus of Nazareth. What I like about your approach is that you come, and I want you to walk us through here in a minute your past. Mm-hmm. But but you come from a law enforcement background, and right. and, and as a detective and as an investigator. You aren't going to get convictions on the basis of what you believe or even what you're pretty certain you believe ended up happening, but on what you can actually prove, right? And so I I love the fact that you bring that perspective to these sort of apologetic conversations. Remind our audience, what is your background? So I, I basically, most of my career was spent in Los Angeles County investigating cold case homicides. These are just, you know, murders are, have no statute of limitations. They stay open for as long as they're open. And so you can go back, you know, 35 years later and work a case. Now, most of my young life, I was not a Christian. I was not a believer. But I walked into a church at the age of 35 because my wife wanted us to think about whether we should raise our kids with some kind of transcendent world transcendent worldview. Mm-hmm. And I thought, no, I mean, I wasn't raised that way. I'm trying, it wasn't and look my, how I turned out. Right. Yes. Exactly. And yeah. that, you're right. All <laughs> of us, you know, think before we understand what we're comparing ourselves to, we all think, oh, hey, we're the best, right? So so I walked into that church, and this pastor um, made the claim that Jesus of Nazareth was the most uh, intelligent, smartest person who had ever lived and had this huge impact on history. And I, I wasn't really paying attention at that point. So I got a Bible so I could see if what he said was true about Jesus. And I really applied the same approach I would to confirming any event in the past from a cold case perspective. How do I work this from a, you know, as an investigator? This is the only way I knew in, Steve. I didn't know any other way. It wasn't like I, I even understood what Christianity was all about. But I did know this. I had met Christians, and the Christians I had met were either detectives or officers who really could not make a case for why they thought this was true, or people who we were taking to jail, who for the most part would tell us they were Christians. We would laugh at this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So I really don't have any—I wasn't trying to prove it right or wrong. I thought it was like a fairy tale. Why would you try to prove whether or not Peter Pan lives? You wouldn't do that, so why would I do this? Mm -hmm. But as I read through the Gospels, I realized— that I could test them in the way we, that's what I wrote about in cold case Christianity. But what I also did I was along with that was take a look at, if I ignored the new Testament, if, if I refused to even look at it, if I pretended like every new Testament was absolutely destroyed, well, it turns out you could know that Jesus lived and was who he said he was just from the, the, the history leading up to Jesus and the history that followed Jesus. And that's what I'm writing about in Person of Interest. I think this is key stuff because now I've got no problem with what we call presuppositional apologetics. 
All right, I'm, right. I, I love the, the classic line uh, from Charles Spurgeon. I would no more defend the word of God than I would a caged lion. Simply let the lion out of its cage and it will defend itself just Absolutely. fine. But just for, just for turds and giggles, when I get challenged, we'll come up with an argument for why any of this is true outside of the Bible. The reality is that I don't know how anybody intelligent could try to make an argument that Jesus never lived, given the amount of historical evidences that we have, that whether it is Pliny or Tacitus or Josephus, in every other context, when these men assert something uh, from a history standpoint of the ancient world, we take them as definitive authoritative figures. Why we would not, therefore, when they do in this context, and I think a lot of people, frankly, just have never heard names like this. No, I think you're right. And look, that's a great analogy you use. I love Spurgeon. So I I, I agree. We just need to let the, the tiger out of the cage. But the problem is a lot of us will not even get, get near the cage. We won't. We, we have obstacles that we have built around ourselves so that we aren't even willing to be anywhere in the vicinity of the cage. But what we do with these kinds of books is we try to remove the obstacles. So and look, by the way, God could have created each of us with an, an, an innate knowledge of who he is, all believing in Christ from the moment we are born. That's not what he did. For whatever reason, he wants us to be part of the process. He's going to do the work, the heavy lifting, but we're going to proclaim the gospel in some way. And what I'm just trying to do is to proclaim the gospel in a way that people who are kind of more evidential in their view will allow themselves to hear it, right? Because a lot of the times we build this obstacle in front of the gospel. What this kind of work does is it hopes to dismantle brick by brick the walls that we've built between ourselves and the gospel. So what I tried to do in this book is like I do in all my uh, nobody missing cases. A nobody missing is like where a husband kills his wife and then says, oh yeah, she ran off, you know, and, and she never came back. We had an argument and I don't know where she is. And he convinces her family that's what happened. He convinces his family that's what happened. And he even convinces the officer 30 years ago that that's what happened. And then we don't work it like a, like a murder. And then it turns out she never comes back. At some point, someone's going to get wise to that and open the case as a homicide. But now I've got no crime scene and no body. He's moved. He's remodeled the house. I mean, they've remodeled the house, the new owners. I've got, I never took it, never took it seriously as a homicide. So now I've got no evidence in the crime scene. So how do we make those kinds of cases? It's kind of like if you had no evidence you were willing to look at in mm-hmm. the New Testament. So what we typically tell the jury is, look, there's a fuse that burns before the bomb explodes on the day she goes missing. And then after the bomb explodes, there's fallout and debris everywhere. So I'm going to demonstrate to you what happened on the day she went missing by simply examining the fuse and the fallout. And that's what we do in this book. We just simply look at the fuse that leads up to Jesus and the fallout of culture afterwards. And if you can deny that Jesus is who he said he is after you've examined the fuse and the fallout, well, good, good for you. I've had people say, hey, couldn't a fictional character have had this kind of impact? On history. Well, I'll tell you what, if you think Luke Skywalker and the worldview that Luke Skywalker uh, 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 initiates will somehow change uh, history, let's wait a thousand years and see if the calendar changes around him and if every important aspect of culture is now grounded in that worldview. It turns out that's true for Jesus. And you may not even realize it because we weren't raised right now. We're not being raised in an environment where education tells us much about the impact that Jesus has on history. 
But he has a huge impact on history that all the things that I would have said were important as an atheist, literature, visual arts, music, education, science. How about how we mark time? What's more basic than how we mark time? We literally changed the way we mark time as a civilization on the basis of his birth and then uh, his death and ascension. I mean, there's nothing more fundamental than the marking of time. Well, I'll tell you what, to go back and look at the first century, if you're wondering, like, who else lived at the same time as Jesus? I have a list of this in the book, every historical person of interest in the first century. Because you can say, well, if something happened in the first century, it's like, what is it? Like, who is it that would be this important that, that we would change our calendar? In fact, well, why, would we even, why were we even calling it the first century, brother? Why were we even yeah, doing exactly. that? Yeah, exactly. Now, you can look, I'm okay if you want to call it before the common era and then the common era, or if you want to call it BC and AD. I'm okay either way, because what we can't deny is that something happens. And if you look at all those historical figures in the first century, I get the list. You will look at them and go, mm, I know a few of them. All of them together don't have the kind of impact on history that this remote ancient sage from a kind of off obscure part of the Roman Empire uh, actually had on history. And if you look at compare his life to the life of those others on my list, his life doesn't seem all that significant compared to theirs. The achievements, they led armies, they they ruled nations, they they wrote sonnets, they wrote concerts, they wrote books, they were poets. You know, Jesus was none of those things. Yet, he's the one who has an impact on history. How do we explain his impact? That's why I actually think that, that the impact of Jesus on history is a form of evidence for mm-hmm. his deity. I love that angle, too, because I come at things from a philosophical background. And so I'm constantly searching for fallacies, right? When one person, like everything's relative, well, then I guess nothing is, okay? I mean, um, so, um, I, you know, there's no such things as, as absolutes while you just assert one, right? Okay, so I'm constantly right. looking for fallacies, and our culture happens to have a fallacy fetish at the moment, so I'm, I'm not short of targets. Absolutely. But yeah. what is your alternative narrative to explain all of these things then, right? It's, it, I kind of call it the X-Files phenomenon, that what what Dana Scully kept having to craft the first few seasons of the X Files, I mean, it, it, she had to come up with her own uh, you know magic bullet theory every single season and episode, okay, right. as opposed to just finally admitting, you know what, uh, I think there actually might be an alien invasion because she yeah. so desired the alternative narrative rather than accepting her partner Fox Mulders. And I see you looking at the train of the trail of evidence here as a detective. Folks, the alternative narrative you have to weave here to come up with what explains all of this, your your body of evidence, your burden of proof is actually a lot higher than mine, frankly. Well, and I'll tell you, this is how cumulative cases work. Look, I, people will say, what's the one thing that convinced you he was the bad guy? Or what's the one thing that convinced you Jesus was God? Well, it's never one thing in the kinds of cases I work. Look, if there was one thing, he would have been prosecuted 25 years ago. Mm -hmm. The reason why I've got the case now is because it wasn't one thing. Instead, we build large circumstantial cases built on a cumulative case until finally the weight of this is just so strong that it breaks the camel's back. And that's what we really have with the case for Jesus. Is there's not like, look, if you look and say, defense attorneys always want you to miss the forest for the tree, right? And that's not what we're doing here. But to tell jurors, don't get caught up in that. It's the overall cumulative weight of the evidence. And you look at the cumulative weight of the evidence for the reliability of the scriptures in the crime scene, plus the cumulative weight of the evidence of the impact that Jesus had and the history that was shaped leading up to Jesus, you will be overwhelmed by what you find. I think that part of the problem, Steve, is that we just, I mean, I, maybe I'm just me. I was in Los Angeles County growing up in public schools and there was nothing 
in those in that experience that would have right. given me a heads up to what Jesus meant yep. to our culture. Yep. And I think that's still happening. And that's why it's so important for us to, to help the world to see why Jesus— Look, all the things that matter to you are so utterly dependent on the worldview initiated by Jesus and how it was brought to life by Jesus' followers that we would not be where we are in the sciences. It's not a Western phenomena because the sciences have an impact on the entire globe, mm -hmm. okay? It turns out that the father of every single major scientific modern discipline is a Christ follower. I mean, if you think that's not true, you just don't know the history of science from from modern chemistry and astronomy all the way to quantum mechanics. The fathers and founders of these disciplines were Jesus followers who were activated by a worldview that Jesus put in place that changed the way we saw the natural world. If you look at the growth of science, you'll see that Jesus stands before it. It's not. He could have appeared anywhere in history, and science could have grown anywhere in history. It could have started a thousand years before Jesus. It didn't. It takes off under the worldview initiated by Jesus. That's something that, like, we're using technology right now to communicate a message to the world. Largely, the reason why we're able to use this technology is because we are standing on the shoulders of Christ followers who en enacted his worldview in the sciences that allow us to do this. And we, here we are using that technology to proclaim that Jesus is nobody important. Isn't that an irony? Hmm. It turns out that the very technology we're using is so utterly dependent on Jesus followers. Look, the Nobel Prize has been given to more in sciences, has been given to more Jesus followers than every other group combined. And if you look at the Judeo-Christian worldview, it's in the 90th percentile that we win this award. Wow. So there's just no way to compare what this worldview has done for the sciences. And yet we are using those sciences sometimes to demonstrate or try to argue that it hasn't, never existed. It's an irony for sure. Name of the book, Person of Interest, Why Jesus Still Matters in a World that Rejects the Bible. Great stuff, Jay Warner Wallace. Much success, uh, hopefully, for this uh, follow-up work to the previous book, which was a smash success. Uh, thank you for what you're doing, brother. Greatly appreciate it, and God bless. All right, take care. Thank, thank you, Steve. I appreciate you so much. You bet. Thank you. This portion of the show brought to you by friends over at realestateagentsitrust.com. You know, trying to sell your home in any environment can be challenging, but especially during these unprecedented times. Bing. Thank you. Uh, that's why you want to make sure you go in with an agent that you can trust to take charge of your situation, but who also remembers that you are ultimately the one that is in charge here. Uh, and wouldn't it be cool if he or she came uh, along with a fully vetted track record of success too? So you, now you know that they, it's not just that you can trust them to work hard for you, but to work smart, that they know what they're doing at the exact same time. Don't take it for granted that you can just go on a website and find this person yourself. All right. It's not easy. All right. And that's why you want to try realestateagentsitrust.com. Again, realestateagentsitrust.com, whether you're buying or selling, whether you're escaping to or from uh, wherever you want to go. Hopefully we can find you an agent you can trust if you visit the website, realestateagentsitrust.com. When we come back, Sherry Marks, an award-winning investigative journalist, the author and narrator of What Really Happened in Wuhan. She will join us here at the top of Hour 2 in an interview you do not want to miss. Stay tuned. Back with Hour 2, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Steve Dace here with Todd Erzin and Aaron McIntyre, and of course all of you. Let us know what you think about what we think via the stevedace.com inbox. 
Steve at stevedace.com is the email address, D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook, where you might get lied to by me with hashtag Facebook approved takes. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at Steve Dace Show and then look for me as well on MeWe, Parlor, Gab, and Getter. If you're not into censorship, those platforms might be more of your speed. You can also find clips of the show free of censorship, free to watch at rumble.com slash Steve Day Show as well. And again, the last name is D-E-A-C-E. Those of you that listen on the podcast, thank you so very much. We appreciate you. You have been a huge reason for the show's growth and success here the past couple of years. If you've not yet done so, please consider, though, leaving us a five-star review, hitting subscribe or follow. I think that's the new iTunes button, whichever the case may be on your podcast platform of choice. Thanks to the thousands of you on those podcast platforms, by the way that have done those things for us already. We appreciate each and every one. We also appreciate our friends over at Home Title Lock because they're trying to stop you from falling victim to one of the new crime fads out there known as home title theft. Here's how it works. Uh, Scammers go online searching public databases for what they think could be high equity homes. Uh, They then pull your home's online title Uh, where a lot of those things are kept nowadays in public databases online. They forge your signature on a quick claim deed stating you've sold your home to them. Then they start taking out loans against your equity. And unfortunately, neither your mortgage lender nor your homeowner's insurance covers you in the event this happens. Thankfully, though, Home Title Lock has got your back. And right now they want to offer you for free. This is normally a $100 value. They want to offer you a complete title history of your home, though, for free. To make sure your home's title has not been tampered with, is in the free and clear, no one's tried to tinker with it, Uh, to take advantage of this free offer, just register your address when you go to HomeTitleLock.com. Again, that's HomeTitleLock.com. Get the free, complete title history of your home today at HomeTitleLock.com. Name of the book, and it asks a question literally billions of people would like to get the answer to. What really happened in Wuhan? The author joins us now. She's an award-winning journalist. She's the investigations editor at the Australian Prime Time host on Sky News Australia. Sherry Markson joins us here on Blaze TV radio and podcast. Sherry, I'm Steve Dace. It's a pleasure to have you with us. How are you? Thank you so much, Steve. It's so great to be with you. So I I watched the documentary that uh, accompanies the book. Uh, I have watched the report uh, that uh, Sky News did on your documentary that accompanies the book as well. I myself have done a lot of research on this virus and its origins over the last year plus. So let's just start with the question prompted on the cover of your book. What did happen in Wuhan? Look, I think the evidence that I've been able to uncover by interviewing so many different people from Chinese whistleblowers uh, in Wuhan, Chinese defectors now based in the West, intelligence officials, government officials and scientists. I think putting all of that picture together, all of that information together, which is what I've done in the book, I think it becomes clear that there was an incident at the Wuhan Institute of Virology in September, October 2019. I think there's enough evidence for that now. And I think it's clear that that there's a lot of unusual features in the virus itself that make some scientists question whether this has been the subject of laboratory manipulation. That scientific matter is something that's not settled and there's still intense debate in the scientific community about it. But, But certainly there's enough questions there 
based on the unusual features of the virus that do lead some scientists to think it might have been the, the result of gain-of-function research in that lab. So if you couple that science question with all of the unusual activity at the Wuhan Institute of Virology um, in September and October 2019 that indicates there was a lab leak, well, that's the, that's the picture you're left with, that likely a virus, either natural or manipulated, leaked from the, from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Why did they ever think that a cover story of a bat that nests 900 kilometers from Wuhan somehow ended up within the matrix of an animal that was uh, feasted upon at a wet market, which they could not track or reverse engineer back to its patient zero. Why did they think that was actually going to fly? And how is it possible that all the people responsible for this, that's the best cover story they could come up with? It's crazy, isn't it? And and when you start to look back and, and what we've all done kind of collectively is we've been able to unpick the lies that we were told from early last year, the misinformation from the World Health Organization and from scientists who said that it was a debunked conspiracy theory to even consider that this was a lab leak, when in fact, that was always the most plausible scenario. As you say, the bats were in hibernation, you know, the equivalent of a 20-hour drive away, yet you had the world's largest coronavirus research facility in the heart of Wuhan that had been going to the caves in the Yunnan province, sampling the bats, taking those bat samples, coronavirus bat samples, back to the lab, and then both keeping those samples there, but then also doing uh, research on them, which involved creating chimeric viruses you know, brand new viruses that took genetic sequences from different viruses together. So this was this should always have been the very first place that an investigation into the origin started. But yet what we saw is that scientists sought to cover this up. There was this false idea of a scientific consensus. No such scientific consensus ever existed. And anyone who tried to investigate this or even people who just tried to talk about it um, were, were treated as, as conspiracy theorists and the debate was censored by the tech giants and the media. Your documentary makes, and your book, make so many good points. A, a couple of them, though, that I think are, one, really just basic that I think a lot of people don't understand. I mean, even my own wife, who has listened to me rant and rave about this on and off the air for the last 18 months. As we were watching your documentary together the other night, she, she paused it early on because I think a lot of people think Wuhan is this desolate area where like a bikini Island atoll that they were doing virological experiments in this, you know, sort of uh, rural area when in fact more people live in in the Wuhan area uh, then live in the the, the 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 total populations of both Sweden and Israel. It's the most populated area of the entire province. And the yeah. idea that they had not one, not two, but three of these sorts of research centers in such a densely populated area, how in the world, in fact, it, frankly, it's a miracle that there haven't been other accidents given that margin for error. Yeah, and there's even scientists like Tian, I can't pronounce his surname properly, but he was from um, the Wuhan CDC, and he ha has spoken about how he went into self-quarantine on a few occasions because 
uh, he had accidentally infected himself with a, with a bat sample or, or blood or urine from a bat. So this, and lab accidents, again, I detail this in the book, extremely common. They happen all the time, even in the, the world-class facilities in the United States and in Europe and, and Australia. So very common. And yet, as you say, you had here the Wuhan Institute of Virology, the Wuhan CDC and the Wuhan Institute of Virology. They were all dabbling in coronavirus research. Remember that it had been banned in the United States in 2014 and then lifted by Fauci in 2017. So that's how dangerous this and risky this type of research was. So you're right. Pe people describe it. You know, that was the image we were given of these wet markets where there were all these unhygienic mm -hmm. animals. The, the, those racist memes did the round of people drinking bat soup. Well, there's no bats at the Wuhan wet market. That's <laughs> complete nonsense and it's a it's a city of 11 million people this is a proper city so it was utterly absurd and just to combine with that point while we were told that there was you know bats being slaughtered at the wet market utterly false we were told that there were no bats at the Wuhan Institute of Virology that was something that I uncovered during my investigation drastic a, a, a group of internet uh, researchers found this video um, produced by the for the official launch of the BSL-4 lab at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And that video showed that they did house bats there, but the World Health Organization never mentioned it in their reports. And Peter Daszak even said it was a conspiracy. He later had to delete some of his tweets where he said that this was a conspiracy after the evidence emerged that there were bats in the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Sure, let's talk about gain of function. Uh, because th this is a phrase that has become, you know, one of the focal points of this debate. But but I think that people need to understand it wasn't that, it, yes, it is a dangerous methodology of research. And as you point out, and you just reiterated it a few minutes ago, the Obama administration banned it. We had scientists at elite academic centers here in the U.S. like Johns Hopkins and Rutgers uh, basically lobby the Obama administration to ban it, and they did. I thought one of the most disappointing moments in your documentary is when you asked President Trump, uh, and thank you for asking this, by the way, how do you explain how this got restarted in your administration? And he, he fumbled around, essentially, and had no answer to that question. But it wasn't just a dangerous methodology. It was the, the explicit purpose of it. They were explicitly gauging what they called, quote, spillover potential. They specifically wanted to know what would cause one of these viruses to spill over from a bat to a human. So to me, Sherry, it's not just the dangerous methodology, but the explicit purpose behind it. It's a little bit like, go back to my Bikini Island analogy, you, you, are, you want to drop an atom bomb on the island, but we don't evacuate people because we explicitly want to see what this new form of hyper-radiation does to human beings. So we, so we left some people there. They were doing this, and this goes to the last question I just asked you. 11 million people live there, and they were doing this to find out what would cause this to jump to a human being. Yes, and at a lab that, as we know, didn't have adequate safety safety uh, processes in place, and even its own director is documented in documents I found for the book that he was concerned about the procedures in some of the Wuhan Institute of Virology labs. But I, I don't even know where to start with that question because it, it's so extensive, but you're absolutely right. This is very risky, dangerous research. 
um, that should never have been happening in China at all because their laboratories just aren't at the standard that would be capable of, of conducting this sort of research. And yet, the, you know, the documented work that they were doing and they would look in terms of its purpose, right? So some scientists might have had a very good intentions. You know, they say they want to predict a pandemic by finding out which viruses have the ability to infect humans. But in doing so, they're creating brand new viruses mm -hmm. that do infect humans. And they're doing that through humanized mice. One of the methods is through humanized mice. Another method is in, in petri dishes and, and with using cell lines. So that's the problem. So you've created this brand new virus that has the ability to infect humans when it never could before. And the question is, well, why? And then you've got the, also the other piece of the Chinese military being involved in this lab. And, and it's that's something I approved in the book, that Chinese military scientists were working with the Wuhan Institute of Virology. So then you have to ask, well, what's the military's intention here? Why were they doing this research? Why did they want to create brand new viruses that could infect humans? And as you say, why would you do that in a lab that its own director is worried about its, its safety issues right in the heart of a city with 11 million people? And Steve, sorry for a very long answer, but can I just bring in something that Fauci has said on the record here? Mm -hmm. So he did this interview that basically no one's seen with um, a US host called Leyland Vittert. I think his name is, I'm not pronouncing his surname properly, Leyland Vittert. And the thing is Fauci only ever agrees to soft interviews. So this interview started out really soft. And then in the middle of it, Leyland just starts kind of hammering him on the gain of function research and the WIV. And Fauci makes this stunning admission that, and I, and I included it in the documentary, he makes this stunning admission that they were funding the coronavirus research in China to avoid an outbreak. And this is what Fauci, this is his own words. He says to avoid an outbreak in Hoboken, New Jersey or Fairfax, Virginia. Hmm. I mean, Steve, this to me is a really stunning admission because that shows that Fauci knew just how this research could lead to an outbreak because it's so dangerous. You're creating viruses that are so infectious that even the most secure laboratories would have difficulty containing them. And we've seen just how infectious COVID is. You start off with one case and you have you end up with an entire city effect infected. So he was doing it in China to stop an outbreak in America. But how stupid and how dumb is that, can I just say? Because as a global, as a, as a leading public health official, he should understand that an outbreak in Wuhan can lead to mm -hmm. a global pandemic. And that's exactly what has happened. Final question. And it's, it's the one everyone wants an answer to. Um, but a lot of people don't want to have to acknowledge if, if uh, what the consequences of a potential answer to this question is. What are the odds that everything was on the up and up and this, this was just an accident or that this was an operation where the scientists, because the, the Shycoms lie to their people and scientists too, that the scientists who thought they were working on the next SARS or MERS level event, either for spillover potential or some form of a preemptive vaccination sequencing in case this event should happen again, but they were actually being co-opted as part of a military bioweapons operation. What are the odds that that was actually the case? 
Look, Steve, this is a very serious question. And so how I approached this in the book was I went and investigated. So I've got a chapter on bioweapons. So I went and investigated everything, all the evidence that I could possibly find by interviewing all of the people I have had access to um, about China's bioweapons program. I then looked at all of the links between the Chinese military and the Wuhan Institute of Virology, and I lay that out quite simply. Um, and, then I, and then I interview everyone and give their opinions as well. I'm an investigative journalist, so I don't want to tell people what to think or what conclusions to come to. And I think this is such an important point because too many people tell us what to think. And yet those people often turn out to be completely wrong. And, and we saw that from early last year, everyone like Fauci and everyone was telling at the World Health Organization, telling us what to think, telling us this was a conspiracy and they were lying to us. So what the, the approach I choose is to get all of the facts because I'm in a unique position as a journalist to interview everybody, to get that information and to present it. And that's what I've done in the book. I've put all of the facts out there and then people can look at the evidence and decide for themselves whether they think this was part of a bioweapons program or just innocent scientific research. They can decide whether they think this was an accidental release or a deliberate release. And as I say, I give the opinions of the people I've interviewed. So, um, for example, President, former President Trump, he said this was most likely incompetence, but he can't completely rule out um, that it was deliberate. And you, you see his comments about it in the documentary. And he, he says to me, if it was, he says that would be essentially war. Mm -hmm. He doesn't mm -hmm. like to think that it was. There's no evidence that it was. Um, Pompeo thinks it's accidental. But Wei Jingsheng, Chinese defector, uh, the, the most famous, the most prominent Chinese defector to America, He's, he was a former Communi Communist Party insider. He was in the same school compound. His, his brother was best friends with Xi Jinping, the Chinese president. He grew up in the, in the inner circles of the Communist Party. And then he, he was even part of the Red Guards and he then rebelled. He uh, objected to the regime, spent 18 years in different Chinese prisons. He was the most famous political prisoner. The United States negotiated his release or defection in 1997. He still has impeccable contacts within the regime. <clears throat> I interviewed him for the book and for the documentary. Um, and he told me that he found out about the coronavirus in October 2019. He tried to sound the alarm. He, he says he warned the intelligence agencies um, and that they didn't take that warning seriously enough. He said he warned someone in the White House. He did tell another Chinese activist, Diamond Liu, on November the 22nd in 2019, and I've interviewed her as well. And this is how I start off my book with her finding out about this new coronavirus from Wei Jingsheng. Now, my point of telling you all of this is that Wei Jingsheng, when he heard about the virus during the time of the World Military Games in October 2019, he his first thought was that China has decided to release a bioweapon and did so at the time of the military games when all these international athletes were in Wuhan so that they could take it back to every corner of the world. Mm. Now, um, sorry to answer, <laughs> to take such a long time answering here, but he has no proof for that. So as a journalist, I say, well, what is the evidence for that? He has no evidence for that, but he says 
he knows how the Communist Party operates and that he knows from when he was a teenager that they were experimenting with bioweapons on live soldiers, on live athletes. And he that story of, of, is, in, is in my book. He tells that in the book. But I'm just I'm just saying that, you know, I'm presenting the evidence of people I've interviewed and, and the facts that I've uncovered. So you have the US pretty much consistently, everyone in the US in terms of senior officials, including Trump, says that this was an accident. But you do have Chinese former Communist Party insiders saying that it's possible that this was deliberate. And and I think at this point, you know, you just have to look at all the evidence and the facts and and more will come to light ultimately that will give us definitive answers. It is fascinating that they had an accident right when they were facing a trade war with the U.S. and their worst form of civil unrest since Tiananmen Square in Hong Kong. It's it's amazing timing at the very least. Uh, the name of the book, What Really Happened in Wuhan by award-winning journalist Sherry Markson. Sherry, phenomenal work. Uh, thank you very much for your contribution to this, uh, immense contribution to this conversation and for your time today. We appreciate it. Thank you so much, Steve, for, for giving me so much time. Thank you. You bet. By the way, there is a part of that conversation that we just could not fit into this segment that we have set aside for the overtime today at blazetv.com slash dace, in which I, I try to see if Sherry can answer the question we pose in Fauci and Bargain. What caused Fauci's huge about face from where he was at on this uh, all winter long until he went and testified before Congress on March 11th? Does she maybe have a theory as to what occurred there? If you want to see her answer to that question, uh, you can get uh, a subscription to Blaze TV right now at blazetv.com slash dace. We will record the overtime for you later today after today's show. Upload it. You'll be able to watch it. Get a discounted subscription today at blazetv.com slash dace. And that's also where, if you're already a subscriber, you will be able to see that bonus material as well. This portion of the show brought to you by our friends over at Omega XL. If you have been struggling with chronic pain, not, hey, um, I fell down the stairs. Give me some Omega XL. I hurt. No, go see a doctor. Okay. I mean the chronic variety, uh, stiffness, achiness, soreness that lingers. Chances are that is from too much inflammation in your body causing that chronic pain. That's why you're looking for an all-natural anti-inflammatory backed by 35 years of clinical research. That's also backed by my last couple of years of using it in real time. It's called Omega XL, and it will help to neutralize the inflammation causing your chronic pain. And if you want to try it today, buy one, get one free. Buy one bottle, get a second one for free. When you visit OmegaXL.com slash Steve, again, OmegaXL.com slash Steve, or just give them a call at 800-844-4888. So, Todd, your feedback on that conversation with Sherry Markson, what stood out to you? I believe it to be providential timing that she was on the show the exact same day as Jay Warner Wallace, and he closed his discussion the way he did, talking about throughout all of Christian history. It has been Christians through uh, who were priests in monasteries who were driving science. Gregor Mendel is the founder yes. of modern genetics. Yes. He was an Augustinian monk. Yes. Is that, that's an example of yes. what you mean. Yes. And it's funny. It happens because we often cite Romans 1 as uh, the, prom it, the God's promise of depravity, how, how, without him, how far you will fall. But Romans 1 ultimately is also a foundational 
uh, imprint on the human soul of why science is possible. You are without excuse. You can know so much of the truth of this world just by opening your eyes and being honest of the beauty I have told you about. And I set the table with that to say, here is an actual reporter. And she's just laying it down. And to sum up everything she says, she's just like, open your eyes. You are without excuse on what has been obvious from the very, very beginning. And and the fact that so few people in her industry want anything to do with this goes to the importance of uh, if you set God aside and refuse to let him reign over notion what the truth is. You think we have chaos now? It's just the beginning. As, as Steve and Sherry pointed out, the fact that this is all going on in such a heavily populated city and you're trying to create the very thing, supposedly, that is what you also want to avoid, you should, reporters should be having un- questions all over the map. Wh- why are we creating the Frankenstein's monster? Yet, ethics and science is probably one of the most laughable what are they? Godless notions there yeah. is. Yes. It is utterly untamed. It is meant to be the God killer. And we've got to stop letting it, leaving it to just lone gunmen like Sherry out there all by herself. Why? Who? No one, I may, none of us have ever heard of her before a week ago, I correct? Not, no, and she's an award-winning journalist. Okay. Yes. But she lives, she's in a different part of the equator than I yes. do. Yes. yes. Yeah. God bless her for doing it. Where where are our senior statesmen? How many in the interviews media? have been done with Trump on Fox News? Really everywhere. Yes. That never no one ever bothered one time to ask the questions of him that she does in this documentary. The number of people are complicit in this cover up is legion and we should talk to them when we get the chance like Matt Walsh talked to that school board. They should be utterly ashamed of themselves. Folks, I'm just telling you flat out, it's just not acceptable. It's just not. It is not acceptable for the president, former president, who's going to want to run for president again to not know what caused within his administration NIAID, NIH, operate in his branch. He's in charge of them. It is not acceptable for him to not know who or what. I don't blame him for not knowing in the in the moment, in the monstrosity of the administrative state we had. But to not know now where this started, how it started, where it came from, and to look so unprepared for the question when she when she asks him that in this document, that's not acceptable. I'm sorry, it's not acceptable because it could very well be the origin and genesis of all of this. It's not acceptable to not know that and to even seem not the least bit intellectually curious about it. Exactly right. And we've been asking this question, where is just one intrepid journalist from the beginning of this pandemic who wants to go out there and win a Pulitzer and says, hey, let's pump the brakes. Let's get some answers to some of the the burning questions, whether it's about the origins of the virus or anything else, any of the reaction to this. And uh, by and large here uh, stateside, uh, if there have been any like that, which I don't really, I don't really know of any. Uh, they've been silenced, like an Alex Berenson. Well, here you go. Here's an example of an actual, of an actual journalist. And Todd's point about, um, about science, 
when you remove God from the equation, absolutely anything is possible. With God, anything is possible. But when you remove God from the equation, uh, anything the other direction is possible. We may have, in the name of science, we may have created the deadliest pandemic of this century. Just because we could. Basically, that's the answer. We could. So we did it. That's basically the answer. That's what this will all come down to. If you had to give uh, the lasso of truth or put the lasso of truth around any of um, Peter Daszak, Anthony Fauci, any of those involved with this type of experimentation, why did you do this? Eventually, you would deduce them down to, uh, we could. That's not, a, that's not a very good answer. There's a lot of terrible things that have happened in human history, apart from God, that come down to the answer, well, we could. So we did. The weekly prophet of woe and lamentation, Daniel Horowitz, will close us out here when we come back. You know what? Before we bring in the weekly prophet of woe and lamentation, I on purpose saved a built bar for now. Just because before you hear the conversation Daniel and I are about to have, you need to be reminded there is still some good in this world. (laughs) All right. right? The absolute greatest protein bar of all time, the healthiest candy bar you've ever had. Now, they they don't call it that. It just certainly tastes like one. It certainly feels and has the texture of one. Just isn't loaded with the sugar and the chemicals and the fat and the carbs. Instead, this one is loaded with protein. In fact, I've I've heard from several of you that have checked with your doctors who are diabetic or your kids are and your doctors signed off on this being able to satisfy your, your diabetic sweet tooth. Maybe consult with your doctor and find out if that's true for you as well. All right. It's a fantastic product. Special flavors. They ran out of salted uh, pretzel yesterday, but they still have chocolate chip cookie dough, the greatest flavor of all the great flavors they've ever done in the history of Built Bar. Get yours today. Use my last name, Dace, as your promo code to get 15% off when you go to check out. Promo code Dace to get 15% off when you go to Built.com, B-U-I-L-T, for Built.com. And now we bring in the weekly prophet of woe and lamentation, so grab a glass of Patriot wine and a built bar, put your feet up, and learn to love the end of the world. How are you, my friend? Good to see you. Hey, Steve. Look, every sunset begins with a sun's sunrise. So midnight tonight, the debt, the deficit for the year goes back to zero. A mutual friend of ours uh, said to me on the phone a few days ago about trying to get a group of people together to organize and tr- to push back against this from a messaging standpoint across the country. And he said, and he mentioned your name, and he said, and that's if we can stop him from jumping off buildings. That's what he told me. <laughs> I get everyone else to jump off the yes. I should. You know what? I should have said that. No, he actually makes everybody else want to jump off buildings. So uh, in, in a private little text thread that you and I are a part of, okay, we won't out the other members of this thread. Some polling from, is it Sabato or Sabato at the University of Virginia? I don't know. Does it matter? Okay. Um, sabotage, yeah. Sabotage. <laughs> I'm pulling up the thread now. All right. <laughs> That's great. All right. 
he has done, he, he's quoting some polling on national divorce or secession. 52% of Trump voters somewhat or strongly favor blue states seceding to form a separate country. 41% of Biden voters want the red states to do the same. Uh, tw- strongly feel this way, 25% of Trump voters, 18% of Biden voters. There's an ad out this morning. It's supposed to be an attack ad against Ron DeSantis. And it mentions that they don't do vaccine passports. They don't do mandates. They don't let you do mask mandates. And and I'm like, dude, I would just take that exact same ad if I'm the DeSantis campaign and run it in my favor. But understand that if, if, the, if the Democrats think there's an audience of millions of people in Florida that will respond to that. I told my audience earlier in the show, Daniel, you cannot share a landmass and be free with people that, that it's not even that they want, they believe in a more authoritarian policy because, hey man, five minutes after we won the revolution, they had a conversation about making George Washington a king, all right? Human beings love kings. We love to be ruled. It's the fact that they actually want to be ruled by stuff they all know and, is, and they're living in a state that is proven doesn't work. All right. And and so, first of all, is national divorce a talking point? Is it feasible? Secondly, I I think you're you're up against Karen's with the military. They ain't letting you go personally. They know better. That's why they won't let you opt out with natural immunity and religious exemptions now. Okay. They know what's better for you. And by golly, if it means they've got to, they've got to Australia you right up your sphincter hole with every weapon of their army and arsenal, they're by golly, they're going to do it. What are your thoughts on that? Steve, the problem with the discussion over national divorce, which obviously is something that needs to happen and I hope happens, and I say that openly is that it assumes that the baseline is clean. We're starting at a clean threshold. The reality is there's this imbalance. You see, when it comes to a blue state, or let's start with a red state, there is nothing about it that a blue person, so to speak, a leftist or whatever, Marxist, can't do. The worst case scenario is you have a lower tax rate and some a couple of fewer uh, you know, corporate regulations. All that does is allow you to bring in more of your stuff and set up shop there. There is nothing in a red state that makes it unhospitable to them. They could get as many clot shots as they want. They could get as many, wear as many masks as they want. They could engage in as much sodomy as they want. Uh, they, they, there's nothing they can't do that they want to do. Whereas when the shoe's on the other foot, we're totally screwed. And, and we're frankly screwed in red states, too, because then the feds get us or the federal courts will get us or the rhinos will get us. The point is, it's not like an amicable divorce where two people say, hey, we're just going to part ways. It's mutually beneficial. It's kind of like, Steve, where it's an abusive relationship where, well, the divorce on one side occurred long ago where there's no consent. You know, the husband, let's just say, is the mm-hmm. abuser. And he's been beating you left and right. I mean, he's broken those marriage vows from day one. Those are your blue states. The red state is the abused wife that, yeah, I mean, she would love to get out of there, but he'll come after her and violate the restraining order and kill her. Right. That's where and that's, I think, what you're alluding to right now. Um, If you're a blue, if you're a Democrat, there there is no reason for a national divorce because you have your cake and eat it, too. You don't languish under someone else's rule, you get to do what you want. You always get your outcome. And therein lies the problem, because I think if it was, Steve, I, I really do think if it were an equal proposition, I think we would have had that already. 
We would have had that at least a few years ago. Uh, but but the reason is it's only our people that want it to a large degree. Um, I think when the Democrats say they want it in that poll, it's like, yeah, I don't like those guys. Let them get out of here. But they don't feel like I can't breathe without unless, you know, we get these people out of the way. And then we're stuck with a point where our representation for red states is blue anyway. See, another reason why we haven't had national divorce until now is because we haven't had the divorce that we've already had. Like I said, the blue states already divorced. For example, illegal immigration. There's nothing more federal national union sovereignty than that. Mm -hmm. Feds have control over that. California said screw off to Trump and they refused to cooperate with ICE. And that was it. I mean, deportations ground to a halt for Trump's presidency in states like California. They do what they want. I mean, think about it, Steve. If you're a leftist living in California, were you really affected in a non-virtue signaling way by Trump's presidency? I mean, what, foreign policy maybe? I mean, what about it could you not have done? I think there was a little bit of a fight over cafe standards with the automobile manufacturers in, in California between the feds and the state, but they pretty much did what they wanted. We don't have that the other way around. Name me a state where I could get ivermectin, where I can get a doctor, where I can get someone readily available to properly treat this and not be subject to the things that don't work and harm me. I can't really find that, Steve. If you're you know, a significant portion of the workforce working in Florida or South Carolina, you are controlled by the federal government now, even with the mask mandate in the schools. Every single state, maybe about 10 of them, that banned mask mandates, every single one, a federal judge has come in and said, you can't do that. So that's where we are right now. This is more of an abusive wife-beating relationship than a national divorce. Hmm. So you mentioned ivermectin. I want to discuss, we're getting into seasonality now. Next week, we'll begin the seasonality for the Northeast and the Midwest, even though we're already seeing Vermont, the most vaccinated state in the country, has its highest cases in the history of the pandemic despite its massive vaccination rate. But but huge population centers are now going to face the reality of, quote-unquote, breakthrough cases and seasonality, okay? And I've got a situation here in my own office, somebody I work with here in our Iowa office. Um, I, I, I had to go to him, I had to go and get him some of the, uh, the information I have on where you can go around the country to get some early treatment. Can you give our audience... And, and urge them, don't wait until you actually feel symptoms or test positive because there's going to be a rush. Like you can't even get America's frontline doctors to like return an email now in like 30 days. They're, they're so backlogged. OK, can you give our people some some of the resources out there to jot these down right now and maybe get yourself prepared for the coming seasonality? Sure. So one thing is earlytreatmentreport.com. It's a mom, stay-at-home mom from Massachusetts. She's not a doctor. She's a listener to my show. She put together a website of all the resources. So rather than me trying to remember then, earlytreatmentreport.com. Again, someone just like one of you put that together, something that, frankly, every State Department of Health should put together if they cared about saving lives. Obviously, you're going to want to find out where the monoclonal uh, antibody treatments are in your area. Uh, although a lot of areas, unlike Florida, are severely restricting them. So that might be an issue for some people. Um, again, you the, the biggest thing, I said it maybe last week, Steve, but 
I cannot stress this enough. Betadine up your nose kills a virus uh, prophylactically and, you know, at least within hopefully a couple days after you got it. If every night you take a solution, you get one of these like allergy spray bottles, empty it out, put in nine parts distilled water because you don't want regular water up your nose. It could cause a sinus infection, distilled water or saline, one part betadine iodine. It comes 10 percent from the store. So this will get it to one percent and you squirt it up your nose every night. So you've been around people in case you've incubated it at some point that day. It will kill most of what's there. The issue now is the viral load. Um, these are things you can do. And again, that website, earlytreatmentreport.com, will have information for you. Um, one website I'll plug, Dr. Molly James, who's an ICU COVID doctor. She's doing outpatient now because she got kicked out from the hospitals for not getting the clot shots. So she has a website, ivermectincan.com, ivermectincan. Um, and that is, again, it's not just ivermectin. She will, you'll get her cell phone and she'll be able to walk you through it, the symptoms you have, what to get, what to do at a given moment. Another big thing is it's not just the virus. We believe that the spike protein is shedding, particularly with all these people getting their third shot. They're radioactive within three or so weeks after that. They're spiking up the place. Uh, Pfizer has admitted it does shed through skin-to-skin -skin contact and through, quote, inhalation, whatever that means. Um, so that was in their protocol, their trial protocol on page 67 from November, inhalation. So you want to stay away from people that have recently gotten the shot. Um, they're for sure a problem um, because a lot of people are getting what appears to be the virus, and it's really the shedding of the spike protein. Uh, take this seriously. Everyone needs to take this seriously. I agree. It doesn't take away from your conservatism or, or nope. your manliness. It's worse than it was a year ago. Be ready. Yes. Yep. Be ready. Yep. That's Completely simple. agree. Final we thought. We didn't create it. They did. I've got, I've got 90 seconds for you to answer a question you could do an, an hour podcast on. But if, if you were told you had 90 seconds to describe to America what the current level of COVID therapeutic efficacy is, what would you say? I would say they perfectly studied what does work and doesn't work, and not only what doesn't work, but the things that cause the very side effects that are most problematic for COVID. So um, we have remdesivir now in the hospitals. We've had it from day one, causes kidney failure for a lot of people. We have um, Olumiant, that is the brand name created by Eli Lilly, whereas there's an FDA black box warning on it. It causes blood clots, but they use it anyway for critical care patients who are uh, getting having a threat of, uh, you know, pulmonary embolism. And then obviously the clot shots, uh, you know, the names on 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 the branding there um, and then everything that does work. They're trashing hydrogen peroxide, uh, nasal rubs, betadine. They're trashing ivermectin. They're trashing phenofibrate. They're trashing hydroxychloroquine. And you know what? The New York Times is even writing hit pieces now on the monoclonal antibodies. Think about it, Steve. They are now saying the majority of people going for the monoclonals had the vaccine. Why would you put the money messaging and coercion into something that anyway, everyone has to get the monoclonals, just buy the heck out of the monoclonals that is made by Big Pharma. They get their money. We get our treatment. We save lives. Everyone's happy. Why not? That is the big question. No good answers to that question, brother. Good to see you as always. Thanks, thanks, Daniel. Take care. See you next week. You bet. Daniel Horowitz uh, brought to you by our friends over uh, at, where did I leave off? Oh, Rough Greens. Uh, you know, we've been talking about Rough Greens for a long time on the show here. It's that supplement powder 
that you put into your pet's food. And with that one little act, you probably have restored all the vitamins, minerals, and nutrients that were stripped out of your pet's food when it left the factory for mass distribution. They do all this with the food that we people eat. That's why we people are taking so many supplements these days. Now, thankfully, though, there's one for your dog. But you might be thinking, what if my dog doesn't like it? Well, how about we give you the first 14-day Jumpstart bag for free for you to find out? You pay for the shipping, so you got some commitment here to the, to the equation. But overall, we'll give you the bag for free to get you started and see if you don't see a difference in your pet in two weeks or less. When you go to roughgreens.com, R-U-F-F, that's roughgreens.com, or give them a call at 833-ROUGH-DOG, 833-ROUGH-DOG. Final thoughts or thoughts on the conversation Daniel and I just had. Well, uh, as you know, what two weeks ago maybe is the vex is the virus getting worse or not? At at that time, I I said I don't think so. Uh, I knew the vaccine was deeply problematic, but I said that I, until I see uh, this dip, more evidence of this dipping into age demographics that it wasn't before. I'm gonna withhold judgment on that, and here's why: because I know what it means from the crazy people. They, they say, oh, it's coming, it's terrible, but they want it to be coming and terrible and what they'll do for us if it is, in fact, uh, getting worse, whether or not they created the problem in the first place. That's the situation we are all stuck in. But I think Steve uh, is correct. I think there is enough evidence now uh, displayed over the last couple of weeks within age demographics uh, that previously were more uh, unsusceptible to this uh, that the Frankenstein's monster is, in fact, on some level here, and not just in the form of a dangerous vaccine, that the virus itself may be more dangerous uh, to you. Now, it's still not what they've been telling us from the beginning, and it never has been that. But yeah, I think the percentage points of danger have gone up in some demographics. Listen, folks, until we, I mean, we're... On this pace, we're never going to stop mass testing. When we don't stop mass testing, that means that this virus is going to be around forever. And every time we have a spike, it means, well, we're going to impose more restrictions on you. This again, as it has so many times this year, look in the mirror, it's up to us. The answer is us. It's only a pandemic now, uh, as long as we say it is. It's really only tyranny as long as we let it go. We'll stick around and do overtime for Blaze TV subscribers for the rest of you. We have a long weekend coming up. We'll see you again on Tuesday. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.